0: those of you that don't know who I am, my name's Leon, I'm senior pastor here at the church, Um, and I know that Dan has already welcomed you uh, really well, but I just want to say hi as well, and it's great to see you. If you're a visitor, a guest with us, then we're really glad that you are here, hope that you enjoy it. And you find it meaningful as well. Um, Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this series called Only the Brave. um, And we're looking at 1 Peter, which is a book in the Bible. The Bible is not a book. It's much bigger than that and much better than that. It's a collection of 66 books. Written by over 40 different authors over thousands of years. And one of those little books, right in the end part of the Bible, called the New Testament, that's like the second bit of the Bible, if you like. One of those letters, one of those books is a letter written by Peter, called, cunningly enough, 1 Peter. So there's a bit of a clue there. And he wrote this letter um, under the uh, very difficult situation that believers, people who believed in Jesus, found themselves in in about AD 64 65, which was this. They were living under pressure, Nero was the emperor, Nero was trying to scapegoat the Christians and blame them for things that were going wrong in his uh, government, and in his situation and uh, so persecution began and it was pretty horrific and believers were scattered around parts of the Roman Empire in what we call Asia Minor, around Turkey and other parts of Asia uh, and Europe and uh, Peter was writing to these guys and saying, you're under pressure but you can be brave. So in our first week, we looked at this whole idea. You've got what it takes to be brave. And then last week, we looked at this, that brave people refuse to live life alone. Brave people refuse to live life alone. They belong to each other. And now we're coming to this next chunk that we're going to look at. This is the most difficult chunk, I think, that I've looked at over the last three weeks anyway. Uh, And I've agonized over this because there's some really difficult stuff to get your head around. um, And it's very practical and very specific. So I'm going to do my best with it anyway. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you to uh, interact with me a little bit. And we're going to do a little activity. Is that all right? You love it, don't you? I can just feel the energy in the room just diminishing, as I say. So I'm going to tell you two things, and you've got to choose one of them. And you might think, well, I don't want to choose. Well, then you will make a choice. By not choosing, you will make a choice, okay? So I'm going to give you two options. The first option, if you want to choose this, you stand. The second option, if you want to choose that, you sit. So some of you are thinking, oh, I'm not going to take part. Well, then you will, because you're all the second option, because you'll be sitting. So I'm going to say, would you rather... And then I'll give you the first one and you stand or the second one and you sit. So would you rather have the power to fly or the power to disappear? So fly, you stand. Disappear, you sit down. None of you have disappeared, so you haven't got that. Okay, we're mostly flyers in this room. Okay, take a seat. Second one. Watch TV or read a book? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, okay, you're about a 50-50 there, which is quite surprising. Okay, sit, 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 okay, uh, live in the city or live in the country? Oh, again, I think probably a little bit country, so you'll enjoy the banjo and all of that, and all that, to so take a seat. Next one, would you rather wake up early or sleep in late? <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Interesting. Early risers, cool. Okay. Here we go. It's another one. Would you rather laugh or make others laugh? Laugh or make, or laugh if you're from down south. Sorry. All right, for you posh ones. Laugh or make others laugh. That's just wrong, that is. Okay, sit down. Now, this is an interesting one here. You need to listen, especially young people. You're going to start. Um, shaking at this bit, all right? and uh, we'll have to call the ministry team over to you. you. Would you rather not be able, not be able to use your phone or email? So if it's not your phone, stand, if it's email, sit, that you'd not use. Okay, okay, yeah, you're all phone addicts, totally phone addicts. Okay, and this is, where it gets, this is where it gets all really Christian, like it did at the first service anyway, okay? Where you think, oh, I know what the right answer is. Would you rather give or receive? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, just two more, just two more. Would you rather make a difference in the world and be unknown, and you'd stand, or be famous for doing nothing? Oh, you're all Christians again, aren't you? Yeah, that's it. Okay, okay. All right, last one, and this is a tough one. This is a tough one, the last one, because both these are good, okay? So would you rather end hunger or end hatred? Ooh, like what I did there. Hunger. Got a few hunger. Growing, the hunger's growing. Okay, thank you. Take a seat. So... um. What you just participated in there is what we're going to talk about this morning. Only the brave choose. You made a choice there over something. And the power of choice is incredibly powerful. And I don't know what you think could happen in 20 seconds of your life. In fact, research says that in 20 seconds, you can fall in love with someone. Love at first sight. It can happen in 20 seconds, apparently. So if you're single, look around in the next 20 seconds. (laughs) It might be. We'll line them. No, we won't. Stop it. Stop it. Theo Walcott scored the fastest goal in the Premiership this year playing for Arsenal against QPR. That was 20 seconds. And I found this out in doing research for 20 seconds. If you get eye strain looking at the computer, apparently there is a strategy you can use. It's this blink 20 times every 20 minutes, then look away from the screen for 20 seconds from 20 feet away. Who on earth has spent time working that out? That's called apparently the 2020 2020 strategy. But I want to suggest to you this morning that a lot can happen in 20 seconds if you choose right. It's just a fantastic quote from a film called We Bought a Zoo, if you've seen the film. And I just love the quote because it speaks so much. He says, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you something great will come of it. My phrase for you this morning, folks, is this, brave people make embarrassingly brave choices. And you might think that's a really strange word to use with bravery, but I want to show you that what Peter says in this letter to these believers in that first century world was at times crazy and at times embarrassing. But if you make embarrassingly brave choices, something great is going to happen. And it only takes 20 seconds to make that choice. And what Peter does is that he, he talks about three arenas of life where we have to live out our lives and where we have to use the power of choice And the first arena that he talks about is I've just called society. It's just the world in general. And so he says in 1 Peter 2 verse 11, Dear friends, Peter says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And then here's the phrase, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor And bear in mind, that's Nero that he's talking about as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slave. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. The embarrassingly brave choice that Peter is calling people to live is this. Live good lives even when it's tough. Live good lives even when it's tough. Now why was this difficult in Peter's day? Why was this insane? Because when he says live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and they literally were accusing Christians of doing wrong. Some of the things that happened in this time, some of the accusations were this. They accused Christians of being cannibals. Because they have this meal where they eat bread and drink wine and they talk about the body of the Lord. So they accuse them of being cannibals. They accuse them of immorality because Christians would greet each other with a holy kiss and they talk about brothers and sisters and they accuse them of being immoral. They accuse them of damaging business because all of the idol makers were going out of business because people were coming to faith in God and didn't need those trinkets any longer. They accused them of breaking up families because people were coming to faith out of families They accused them of disturbing the workplace because slaves were finding faith. And, And they said that it's unsettling the workplace dynamic. And the ultimate one of all, they accused them of disloyalty to Caesar. Because these Christians used to go around saying, Jesus is Lord. And that's exactly the phrase that they used of Caesar. They used to say, Caesar is Lord. It was a direct threat to the empire. It wasn't meant to be, but it was a direct threat to the empire. And so they accused them of doing wrong. And they mistreated the Christians. And Peter says, do good anyway. Isn't that powerful? Do good anyway. Live good lives anyway. Even when they mistreat you. Even when you get misunderstood. Even when they persecute you. Do good anyway. What Peter says in these few verses, he uses the S word. The S word that comes through this passage time and time again, through, the, through this next, next few verses we're going to look at. And he says, though they accuse you of doing wrong, you do good anyway, and you submit to their authority. Now, that word submission, we're going to talk about that quite a little bit this morning, okay? And my engine is running for later on when we get to talk about marriage, okay? So my getaway car is ready, all right, when we talk about this whole thing in the context of marriage. But that word submission, we don't understand it because we think submission is about power, control, it's about domination, and it's involuntary, I don't get any choice. That's not what submission means. The actual original word of submission is a a military word where it talks about people coming into rank under authority. It's about order. It's about we're not going to get anywhere unless we come into order. And you're not going to come into order unless you give and submit and serve and stand under. If everyone goes like that, you ain't going to get anywhere. Somebody has to go like that. And what Peter says is that, listen... If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to know this. We believe from the teaching of the Bible that government, family and church are the three institutions that God ordained on the planet. Government, family and church. They're God given. So whether I believe, or whether I agree with politicians or not, government is what God has put in place. Met on Friday with our, our um, MP, James here, is, I meet him quite often, um, he's a conservative MP, he's our MP, I tell him when we talk that I pray for him, and that we pray for him, not because he's conservative, not because he's conservative, but because he's our MP, I said exactly the same thing to Silver Heel, who was our MP before, and she was Labour, It doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that they do. But what it does mean is that there's a respect and there's an honor and there's a submission because God has placed government in. Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that when things are wrong Okay, that we can't protest, that we can't write letters, that we can't speak out against it. But what it does mean is that we don't live our lives as disgruntled rebels who don't trust anyone, who don't respect anyone in authority or leadership. That's not what it means. And Peter says, and in his context, it was totally different from ours, even Nero, who's persecuted you, he's in authority, we submit. It's powerful. Live good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and eventually... They may even glorify your Father in heaven. Brave people make embarrassingly brave choices. What does this mean for us? If you are a believer today, and you may not all be, I know that. And if you're not, it's brilliant that you're here. Hang with us. We're really glad that you're with us. But if you are, have you ever heard anyone say this? You're supposed to be a Christian. Anyone ever heard that or was it just me? And and that's the classic one, isn't it? Because though they accuse you of doing wrong, actually, that's real for us. We know that. You see, people people put your life under the microscope much more than they put your words. And if you are a Christian, when you're living it out there in the world, when you mess up, and when you hit your thumb with a hammer and say, hallelujah, or whatever you say, then people say, oh, you're supposed to be a Christian. Anyone ever had that? And all the time, how we handle our marriage, how we handle our relationships, how we handle stress, how we handle disappointment, people are looking all the time. And Peter says, listen, I know that. I know you're under the microscope, and I know it's tough, and I know you're getting treated harshly, but listen, wherever you are, wherever you are, live good lives. And at times it will seem crazy, insane, embarrassing, but you get to choose to live good lives. So what I've got for you this morning in each of these arenas is a 20-second choice challenge for you to think about this week. And the first one is this, when you get the chance this week, choose to do good. It'll take you 20 seconds when you meet someone and you walk past someone or you see a situation. It'll take you 20 seconds to think about, should I get involved? Should I do good or not? Before the first service, a lady came to me and she said, she didn't know what I was talking about. And she said, I, I, was, I was in this shop and I saw this person who was, who's homeless. And, and I thought, do I help them or don't I help them? Do I give them money? Do I give them food? What about if they follow me to the car? Are they really homeless? Might they be this? da 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 da, da, da. And, and, and that took ages. And then in the end, she says, oh, I just didn't know what to do. And how many of us have been in a situation like that? What I want to say, I'm not, I'm not asking you to be unsafe. I'm not asking you to be crazy in that sense. But here's a challenge. Next time you see someone and you get the opportunity to choose, why don't you just choose to do good? Why don't you not think, are they really homeless? Do they really need it? Why don't you not think about that? In 20 seconds, why don't you just do good to them? Wouldn't it be amazing if hundreds of us left this place in an hour or two and went out into the world this week and said, right, whenever I see someone in that 20 seconds, I'm going to choose to do good. Wouldn't that be incredible? And you might think, oh yeah, but what about, but don't stop, because if you stop thinking too much like that, you'll always think of ways not to do it. And Peter says, choose to do good, live good lives. Brave people make embarrassingly brave choices. Then the second arena he talks about is the arena of the workplace. And so we pick it up from verse 18, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit, here's the S word again, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. This is tough stuff, isn't it? Not only those who treat you well, Peter's saying, but those who treat you badly. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now, you might say, well, what has slavery got to do with the workplace? But some of you understand what it's got to do with the workplace, don't you? Because for you, you might think, oh, yeah, treat me like a slave. But actually, in the context of the Roman world, it has everything to do with the workplace. Because in the Roman Empire at this time, there were 60 million slaves. And contrary to what we see on TV when we watch programs about Rome, they weren't just domestic workers. They were doctors and teachers and musicians and actors and writers and cooks and chefs. And in fact, every element of work in the Roman Empire was done by slaves. It wasn't done by anybody else. It was done by slaves. So when Peter's writing about slavery, and by the way, can I just say that God would condemn slavery and does. And in the passage of time and history, it's been Christians that have often led the way to see slavery abolished. Tragically, slavery still exists today. You know that, don't you? Human slavery on unprecedented issues at the moment. It's still many people, including Christians, who are trying to bring that horrible thing to an end. But to understand what Peter's saying, we've got to understand that in the context, he's talking about work. His point isn't really about slavery, it's about work, because work happened through slaves. And, and the interesting thing is that a slave was a thing, not a person, in Peter's day. No legal rights. And into this reality, the church was born, which elevated every single person. So the church was the place where slaves and masters came together. It's the place where men and women came together. Women had no rights, we'll look at that later. It's the place where Jew and Greek came together it's the place where old and young can do the church lifted humanity in unbelievable ways because that's god's heart but here he's talking about slaves and he's talking about employment and it's revolutionary because the embarrassingly brave choice which peter calls you and i to make is this be a good worker even when it's tough you see you might say oh well, my boss is great so it's easy to be a good worker well that's great if your boss isn't great your challenge if you're a believer and if you're not a believer that's okay This is to believers, really. If you're a believer, your challenge is to be a good worker when your boss is not great. Your challenge is to be a good worker when your boss is not watching. Your challenge is to be a good worker when it's tough and you're mistreated and they accuse you of doing wrong. Because the Bible is really, really clear about this. Let me tell you what Paul says in the book of Colossians chapter 3. And this is from the message, which is a new translation of the Bible. It's a paraphrase, really. In other words, it's putting it into modern words and language. It says this, Servants, do what you're told, or employees, you could say, do what you're told by your earthly masters, by your boss. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ, the sullen servant who does shoddy work, will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. That's a great phrase. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. See, what was happening in the early church was this. Slaves were becoming Christians. Masters were becoming Christians. All of a sudden, slaves and masters were worshipping together in church. So all of a sudden, the dynamic between boss and employee was shifting. Because at the cross, it's all level ground, isn't it? And they were taking communion with one another. And what was happening potentially was that because they were, they were workers and they were with their masters, they would say, well, it's all right. I, I don't have to work as hard as I did before because now we're Christians. Now we're church together, aren't we? So we're all one, which we are. But what Peter is saying is, no, 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 no. The work thing is still in place because that's what God has set in place. So actually, if you're a Christian, doesn't mean you do less good work. In fact, it should mean that you do better work. Guys, if you are employed in any situation, or if you're at school, or at college, or at university, you should be one of the best, if not the best, in the class, or in the group, or in the factory, or in the business. Why? Because you follow Jesus. That's why. Because following Jesus calls us to live out good lives, and to be good workers, even when it's tough. So my 22nd choice challenge for you at work is this. Be the change that you want to see. Be the change that you want to see. The next time you see something happening at work and you think, oh, this is terrible. Like, this is really naff. In those 20 seconds, instead of joining in with the gossip around the water cooler, instead of getting all grumpy about the boss, in those 20 seconds, choose to be the change that you want to see. How many of you want your office to be a better working environment? You want your staff to be tighter. You want your staff to be more encouraging. You want the environment to be better. You set the temperature because you're a Christian. You set the temperature, you can be the change that you want to see. Instead of moaning about the system and the boss and the company and the organisation, you be the one that brings the change that you want to see. Brave people make embarrassingly brave choices. Are you still with me? Say yes. Right, now we come to the really tough one. The third arena of where it's difficult to live out the good life is marriage. And this is what we're going to look at for a moment. Brave people make embarrassingly brave choices. And the embarrassingly brave choice that Peter puts before people is this. Build a good marriage even when it's tough. Build a good marriage even when it's tough. And first, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to the women. Is that okay? So men, you can just switch off and you can just just like drift off like some of you did 20 minutes ago. Okay, but you've got permission now to do it. So you can drift off because I'm not talking to you. So these words are not for you men at all. These words are for the women. So let's read what it says. And this is what the Bible says. Here we go. Help me, Jesus. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the beauty and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. <laughs> Have an interesting one, wouldn't it? We won't go that far. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Peter is saying, wives, submit to your husband. Now here's that S word again, okay? And we need to understand what it really means and what it doesn't mean. See, when we hear that word submission, we always think about control and we think about better, worse, superior, inferior. So there are these three guys that were talking in the pub. Two of them are talking about the amount of control they have over their wives while the third man remained very quiet. After a while, one of the first two turns to the third man and says, well, what about you? What sort of control do you have over your wife? The third man says, I'll tell you, just the other night, my wife came to me on her hands and knees. The first two guys were amazed. What happened then? She asked. The man said, well, then she said to me, get out from under the bed and fight like a man. <laughs> so <laughs> in, our, in, our mind, in our mind, when we hear wives submit to husbands, we think about that. We think that someone's lower and someone's higher. That's not what submission means. You see, in the Bible, submission is always a mutual thing. So the Bible talks about how in the Godhead there is submission. So God the Father will submit to the Son, and the Son will submit to the Spirit, and the Spirit will submit to the Father. And, and, and there's this mutuality. When it talks about church leadership, it says we submit to the leaders, but leaders serve and submit to the people as shepherds who are given account to God. They lay down their lives. And when it comes to marriage, it says, wives, submit to your husband. But husband, you're going to love your wife like Christ loves the church. That's not about who's boss. That's about who's going to lay down your life for your wife. Because that's what Jesus did. So whenever you talk about submission in marriage, it's a mutual thing. but 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 what Peter's saying is that wives, in this context that we're talking about, your choice is to submit into your husband. And this is an important context for us to understand. You see, in the, in the first century, a woman had no legal right or status. It was horrific. In fact, a Roman writer called Cato, who wrote around the same time as Peter, he said this, If you catch your wife in the act of infidelity, in other words, adultery, okay, you can kill her without a care and no fear of a trial. But if she were to catch you, she would not venture to touch you with her finger, and indeed she has no right. That's the world that Peter was speaking to. That's the world that the early church was born into. So a woman had no right at all. Now, if a man came to faith, the wife would follow him. If a woman, if a wife came to faith, the man wouldn't follow him. And Peter is writing and he's saying that many of you women, you've come to faith, but your husbands haven't. That's the context that she's talking about here. Now, I think it's applicable to all of us, but the context is that your wife has come to faith and your husband, You come to faith as a wife and your husband hasn't. What do you do? What do you do? Well, what you don't do, according to the scripture, is you don't leave him. And what you don't do is you don't preach at him incessantly, day after day after day. What you do do, is what she says, is you live out your faith. And you do good. And you choose voluntarily to submit to them. And that's a choice you make, not that they take of you. You choose to submit to them, and you live out your faith from the interior, not the exterior. So in this passage of Scripture here, when it talks about, you know, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, hairstyle, wearing of gold jewelry. You know, in this era, I know this is impossible to believe, you'll never believe this, but women were were just obsessed with their appearance. I know you won't believe that. This is what used to happen. No, seriously, seriously. This is why historians said that the Roman women were so obsessed. They used to get wigs from Germany because they were blonde wigs and they used to put all these wigs on their head and used to look at each other. They used to go to spa days with their girlfriends. It's unbelievable. You never imagine it. I know that. They used to lie around looking at each other and talking about men and talking about how young they were looking at the lines that were coming around their head and they'd slap all this stuff on them and they were so obsessed. We've moved on so far from that, haven't we? I mean, we just like, but that's what was happening. And Peter says, listen, that's all fine. That's all okay. But choose to live from the interior, not the exterior. You are who you are on the inside, not who you are on the outside. And actually, that's the choice. So that's how you're going to win your husband. Is not by nagging him, certainly not by leaving him, and certainly not by just folks on the outside. But you're going to do it by submitting and by living out from the interior, not the exterior, and doing good whenever you can. So your 20 second choice challenge, ladies, is this. When you look in the mirror next, and I'm sure you will once or twice this week. When you look in the mirror next, I want, this is your 20 second choice. In that 20 seconds, as you look in the mirror, say to yourself, I am who God says I am. You see, and I, I feel for, for you guys because you live in such a crazy world where it is all about how you look. And this is not all for young people. I think there's a massive shift in our culture where as you get into in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s, the pressure on you to look young is immense in our culture. And in that 20 seconds, before you say, oh my goodness, what is this looking back at me? Or before some of you say, I'm hot. Whatever you do, okay, when you look in the mirror, and that may be a word for some of you there this morning, when you, before you do that, take 20 seconds to say this, I am who God says I am. And I'm going to live out of the interior, not the exterior. Now, we come to men. <laughs> so women, you can switch off now, okay, because we're just going to talk to men. Our culture's view of women, folks, is this. And this is some teaching from a guy called Andy Stanley. Some of the young, young people, Resound Life Group. You've already seen this because you're working through a series and I'm going to repeat some of this stuff because it's just great stuff. But he says this in it. Our culture's view of women is that they are viewed, presented, talked and sung about as a commodity. And the message is this. Take me, use me, do what you want with me, train me in for another model. That's the message of our culture. Would you agree? That's what movies say, that's what songs say, that's what advertising say, that's what magazines say, that's what our culture says. Now what I'm going to say now might appear old-fashioned to some of you, and it is, but when these ideas were first presented, this was radical, revolutionary stuff in the first century world. And the reason was this, in the first century world, women weren't viewed as commodities, they were commodities. They had no legal rights and no status. They were viewed as as commodities. The Roman people had one wife. They would only have one wife legally, but many mistresses. Into this world, the church came with a different message. It was revolutionary. Started with Jesus who came and spoke to women. You might think, what's the big deal about that? It's a massive deal because the Jewish men at the time that were hanging around Jesus in John 4, when he talks at the well to a Samaritan woman, they're all saying, he's talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman, and it's in the middle of the day. What's going on? It's insane. It's embarrassing. But what Jesus did is he came along and he lifted the value of women incredibly. And then when the early church was born, they also lifted the value of women. And guess what? Women came into leadership. Hallelujah. And the early church so lifted who women were, that women in their thousands flocked to be a part of this. They say we can be a part of this community where actually men will treat us as equals in that sense because we are under God and we're Jews and Greeks and male and female and black and white and young and old and we can be together because that's what the church is. This was revolutionary. But our culture's view of women is that they're a commodity. They're viewed, they're presented. It's use me, take me, do what you want with me and trade me in for another model. So men, I want to say something to you. Whether you're married or not, we need to have a biblical view of of women and we need to treat them how God, how Jesus would treat them and if you're married you can really listen up to this, this is in connection to your wife, if you're not married this is in connection to how you view women because one day you may be married and we need to get this right, you know many men have a childish view of how we view women and Paul says you know I, I once thought like a child and I reasoned like a child and I taught like a child but then I put away childish views, I say guys we need to grow up We need to grow up and treat women properly and treat them with respect. And this is what Peter says, and I'm going to just break down the verse for you. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Now, why would Peter even write this down? He wrote it down because people weren't treating women with respect. And Christian men weren't treating women with respect. So Peter had to write it down and say, treat them with respect. And the word that's used for respect in the original language, in the Greek language, there's only one time that this word is used in the whole Bible and it's here. So it's got to be quite important. And the word literally means grant or assign them honour. So the way you view women, guys, is you assign them, you ascribe to them, you put to them honour. And that word honour kind of like means, wow, It's like, what would happen if the queen walked in? How would you react? All right, queenie, you wouldn't do that, would you? I could get arrested for that, I'm sure, if that goes out. You wouldn't do that. you go, wow, wow. If a famous movie star or a woman came in who was famous and you'd go, wow, wow. And Peter says, that's how you treat your wife. You assign honor to her. And then it goes on. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, girls, before you start throwing things at me, all that means, all that means is that your husband is more likely to beat you in an arm wrestle, although I'm not so sure looking out here this morning. (laughs) But that's all it means. It's only talking about physical strength. It's not talking about intellectual strength, emotional strength. It's not talking about superior, inferior. It literally is talking about physical strength. And this is why it's so important. In the first century world, physical strength, power and might, you use to leverage for your own sake. This is great. So what Peter saying is, men, whatever strength you have, leverage it, not for your own sake, but for theirs. So you take whatever I have given you, whatever God has given you, and you leverage it, not for your own sake, sake but for the sake of those who are weaker than you in that one area, and that is women. I think that's amazing. So God, you've given me stuff, I'm not going to just leverage it for me, but I'm going to use it for the benefit of other people. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Why? Because they are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life and so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I think if he could, he he wasn't because it was a letter. He'd look at the men and he'd say, listen, you treat your wife with respect. You leverage whatever you've got for their benefit because they are heirs of Christ with you. Jesus died for them as much as he died for you. Their Heavenly Father is your Heavenly Father. They are no worse than you. You are no better than them. We stand on level ground at the cross. And then he says, and if you don't do that, guys, listen, guys, it will hinder your prayers. Wow. If you don't treat women with honor and respect, God will not listen to your prayers. Ouch. It's powerful, isn't it? It's so important that we do that. And can I just say, I know that I'm heavier on the men and that's probably because I am a man as well. But also on the women's side, you know that there is a real move sometimes and this last kind of period of history that sometimes women can, can think, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting my place. And so women, you can fight too hard and be too aggressive. And, and, and that's why that submission word is so important. But I tell you this, if we as men treat women properly, we won't have a lot of those issues. Because if we loved women, if I loved my wife like Christ loves the church, our marriage would be better. Oh, I try and we try, don't we? But men, we need to view women as God would have us view them. So we have to renew our mind and think differently. We have to make up our mind and behave differently. And here I've got, men, sorry, I've got quite a few 20 second choice challenges for you. Is that all right? So you might want to write this down. The first thing is what you listen to. If you have a song in your playlist with the word bitch, or whore in it, you need to delete it today. It will take you 20 seconds to delete it from your playlist. And you might say, oh, but it's a it's, it's style, it's a style. I don't care if it's a style, it's wrong. Because what those kind of words do is they dehumanise someone and when you dehumanise someone, what happens then is you attach something to them, a label and eventually that means your behaviour towards them will change. That's what happened in Rwanda. You might think it's extreme. In Rwanda, in a state of 100 days, 800,000 people were killed in, in the fight between the Houthis and the Tutsis. That's because the one side called the others cockroaches. See, so they put a label, they dehumanise them and they put a, a label to them. And before you knew where they were, people were killing each other. If you've got a song and your playlist with the words bitch or whore or anything like that, you need to delete it. I don't care about the style of music. You might say, oh, well, that's the culture. It's an inferior culture to, the, to, to what God says. And it's a way of treating women that, guys, we shouldn't do. We shouldn't do. Secondly, <laughs> what you look at, and you might say, oh, here we go. We're going to talk about porn now. Yes, we are. We're going to talk about erotic material. And you might think, oh, that, that's for the young guys. No, it's not. It's a male, it's a female problem as well, of course but I'm speaking specifically to men. Guys, you need to look at what what it is that you're looking at. You need to review that. And it will take you 20 seconds to decide, I'm not gonna look at that because that dehumanizes women as well. You see, what we do when we look at erotic material is this, that, that we don't understand that we're getting a message into our heads and into our heart and it says this, a real body is not good enough, one body is not good enough and my wife's body is not good enough. That's not treating your wife with honor or with respect, as heirs with you. If we don't do that, our prayers will be hindered. So, next time you're tempted to look at erotic material, in 20 seconds, you can make a choice not to do it as much as you make a choice to do it. But brave people make embarrassingly brave choices. I want to be one of those, don't you? And then finally, <laughs> sorry, men, the way you speak and the way you act. You've got 20 seconds when that argument's about to kick off. And, and, and as that argument kicks off, everything in you is saying, yeah, yeah, yeah but, yeah, but, yeah, but you're wrong and you're wrong and I can prove that you're wrong and I can solve the problem that you never knew you had because I'm a man. And I can do all of that. And, and you have that 20-second window to say, I'm not going to do that, but what can I do to assign you honor? What can I do to treat you with respect rather than try and win an argument and win a battle because I'm a man? What can I do to treat you with honour and respect? And I want to suggest to you that if we'll do that, we'll become brave people and we'll become people that will live good lives and will be good workers and we will build good marriages. It's not easy and there are no guarantees and if today you've been through a marriage breakup, then you know the pain and the hurt of that. And, and my prayer for you is that you would know healing and restoration and God's favour on your life. But if you are in a marriage and it may be that the marriage is tough right now, then my hope and prayer is that you'd open the door a little bit to God by His Spirit, and that some of these ideas that were written thousands of years ago, which are so relevant and up to date, we take these ideas and we make them live. Why don't we pray together? I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back up. Why don't we stand? Can we stand? In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn together. It's a song that has been around the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. And what is so great about this song, and it's a slightly different arrangement with different instruments today. But what's so great about this song is that this song, when we sing this song, we join with millions of other Christians who've sung it in lots of different contexts. People who didn't have email and Twitter and Facebook, but people who still lived under pressure and had to make brave choices. People who didn't live with the kind of work that we live with now, but they lived under their own work pressures and their marriage pressures and their society pressures. And, and what the song says is the song says that when you focus on Him, when you focus on Jesus, when you make him your vision, and when you live forward for him, and you make brave choices, then like all of the energy and power of God comes with you. And many, many Christians, when the pressure is on, choose to go the other way. But for those who choose to endure, the Bible says, incredible rewards come their way. And I want those rewards, don't you? Mostly, I want the well done, good and faithful servant. So I want to pray for you and then we're going to sing this great hymn. So right now, just think about this week coming up. And you just say to God, God, whenever I see someone that I could do good for, I'm going to do it. In that 20 seconds, I'm going to choose to do good. And Father, while I'm at work, in that 20 seconds, when I could join in with the bad stuff, where I could moan like the rest, where I could stay quiet when something's happening, God, in that 20 seconds, I'm going to choose to be the change that I want to see. And Lord, this week, I want to choose to build a good marriage. I want to choose to honour and respect. I want to choose to submit one another to speak well of one another, to encourage one another. I want to choose, Lord, to live from the interior, not the exterior. So God, help me this week, I pray, to make these brave, embarrassing, insane choices to live for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.